facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Bad candy. I hated trick-or-treating. I hated it. Because we lived in an older neighborhood. My mom would take me trick-or-treating in our neighborhood. And older folks. Now, older folks are nice. They just don't know what candy is. You know what I'm saying? I used to get, like, Halsman, the lipis drops. And... Bullion cubes and sucrets and those little red dental tablets you used to have to chew to see where you didn't brush. That brings back memories. Oh, my. Uh, sometimes you'd get those little boxes of raisins, too. Did you ever have that happen? Man, today the kids have it so good. The variety of candy is definitely improved from back in my day anyway. Blessed All Hallows Eve to you. It is Brooke Taylor in for Kale. Happy to be back with you. And depending on where you are, you might be doing the costume and candy festivities today. Ours was last Saturday. And, of course, in the beauty of our Catholic tradition, It is the night before All Saints Day as we prepare for the month of November as a time of remembrance of all the saints, of all the times and places known and unknown. And we recall all souls as well, the souls in via, on the way to God. The etymology of the word via is Latin for the way or the road. And I'm sure that Father Simon could give you the entire history of that. But for a person who is dying, for example, they would receive viaticum or viaticum, which is Holy Eucharist for the journey to eternal life. And so for the soul in via, they are on the way to heaven in purgatory, and we remember them in November in a special way as well. And it's part of what we'll explore over the next hour on the program. Brother Richard will be with us later from Dublin, Ireland, where they have a really rich tradition observing Halloween. In fact, they claim that it originated there as we know it today and then, you know, kind of blended in with the, the Christian calendar and was baptized, I guess you could say. And so they have the rich history History, incredible devotions, prayers, stories. So he'll share that with us. And then tomorrow is November 1st. Relevant Radio will present an entire day of special programming, great stories about great saints that will feature commentary, discussion, expert guests about the lives and legacies of great saints. I think Kale is covering St. Thomas More and St. Edmund Campion, so two great English martyrs. And my first guest today is, I think, actually a great prelude to that theme tomorrow. We're going to be hearing about an 11-year-old girl named Evelyn Gerber, who you've probably not heard of, but who I and many others believe is a saint. A young lady who today, on this day, exactly eight years ago, died suddenly after going into cardiac arrest during a piano recital at the age of 11. Her mother, Jen Gerber, is with us to tell the story of her daughter's remarkable life, the miraculous events following her death. And I would say this conversation is especially significant for anyone who has gone through trauma, PTSD, mental health issues, especially in the context of losing a child or a close family member. But the themes that you're about to hear apply to all of us, the little way of trust, not giving up, complete surrender and hope and resurrection. And I want to open the phone lines in case you want to connect with Jen as we get started and you begin to hear her story. It's one 914 and she'll be with us for most of the hour today. Welcome to the show, Jen. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. 
Well, and thank you for your willingness to share your story and, and the life of Evie. And today, as I mentioned, marks exactly eight years ago since she passed away, the age of 11. Mm-hmm. And before we find out what happened that day, I just want to offer some context, kind of some some family background as we get going into your story. You are a former Mennonite, Presbyterian, Anglican. There might be some others in there as well, but Catholic convert coming into the church eventually. Uh, can you touch on how that happened? I know that alone could be a whole story and a show, but maybe the quick highlight version. Yes, it certainly could be a whole show. <laughs> but um, yeah, so um, my husband and I dated all through high school, and I sort of grew up a little bit going to many different denominational churches before um, I ended up going to church with him in the Mennonite church. Um, and we went to college together as well and sort of explored a lot of different denominations there, actually became quite anti-Catholic. Um, and then he decided he may want to be a pastor. So we, um, went off to seminary and at that point during seminary, he discovered he, he didn't really want to, to go the pastoral route necessarily. He wanted to go more of an academic route. Um, and ended up doing a couple of different master's degrees and studying theology and philosophy. And as he did more and more reading, um, actually more thoroughly thorough reading of scripture initially, and then reading into the early church fathers, um, that sort of took hold of him. And he started to see some things in those readings that made him draw drawn to Catholicism. And so he started talking to me about these things and I sort of blew it off as you're crazy. Um, And then we ended up in Oxford in England at Oxford University for his PhD. And he was getting a PhD in um, philosophy and theology there in particular studying St. Augustine. And he kept bringing me things that he was reading in particular St. Ignatius of Antioch and some early church writings and I started to see the validity in some of the things that he was saying, and we started to make some friends with some good Catholic families. Up until that point, I didn't really know any practicing Catholic families. I really didn't think of Catholics as having a quote-unquote personal relationship with Jesus. I thought that they just, you know, went to church because they had to, and they didn't really understand what they believed. But I started to to meet some Catholics who really did know their faith, and my husband um, actually um, became good friends with a priest, and he would sometimes even say Mass in our backyard. (laughs) So that was the first introduction for me to to the Mass, just in a backyard. But um, eventually, I just, we both just were compelled toward the church. And we actually moved back to the United States before we converted. Um, We were attending an Anglican church in Oxford, moved back to the United States to our hometown and went back to our Mennonite church that we both went to growing up just to test the waters because it's really easy to convert in Oxford. We wanted to see if what we were feeling was really true. And when we went back to the Mennonite church, we just felt like that was not our home and the Catholic church was our home and that's where we were being called to. So we ended up becoming Catholic and that was, oh gosh, I don't even know, like 15 years ago or so. So, Wow. Beautiful story. And I know there's so many twists and turns in there and how humble you were about your husband, but actually having four degrees in theology (laughs) 
and in philosophy and a doctorate from Oxford. I know he's an Augustan theologian. In fact, I want to say it was about a year and a half ago we had him on the program, Dr. Chad Gerber. So if you're interested, a lot of your conversion story is shared in that interview. I think it was here on the Kale Clark Show. Uh, it was filling in that day. And if you just do a search for the podcast and Dr. Chad Gerber, you can hear that. And so that alone is an amazing testimony. And at this point in your life, when you come into the church, you have, is it two children at that point, you and Chad? Yes, we had our son, our oldest son um, went with us to Oxford and we left with another child. Our daughter, Evelyn, was born over in Oxford. So um, actually when we converted to Catholicism, we had three children. I'm mistaken there. Um, We also had our third child who was two at the time. Okay. Okay. And I know we'll revisit that part as well, but I want to get also into your daughter, Evelyn, and and her story. And that day, eight years ago, October 31st, 2015, it was a Saturday, a busy family day, jokes in the minivan, a piano recital, uh, trick-or-treating planned for later that day. Take us back through the events of eight years ago and what happened. Sure. Um, so we um, had planned to do a Halloween piano recital. It was a type of recital that they, the girls had done, my two girls, um, the older two girls, Evelyn and her sister, um, had done many times. They wore costumes and they were given um, a series of songs that they were supposed to memorize. And then the teacher would pull a song out of the the fishbowl, she called it, and um, the, the student would have to go up and, and play their piece. And so we had decided to go to that particular recital as usual. It was on Halloween that year. Um, so we were all dressed up and we had had a busy day. Evie had had an art, had an art class that morning and another baby shower that we had to attend. So we were sort of running around a lot. Um, but as you said, there were jokes in the minivan and um, we drove up to the, the recital and it was just me. I was just there. Um, I was pregnant at the time um, with our fifth child. And so it was me and Evie, her younger sister, Eden, who was two years younger than her, nine at the time, and then our daughter, Cecilia, who was five at the time. So my husband wasn't with us for this recital. We were going to go trick-or-treating afterward with a friend. Um, So we got to the recital, and everything was normal. Evie seemed a little nervous. She said her tummy hurt a little bit on the way up, but that wasn't unusual, I thought, for you know being nervous and going to your recital. So we went into the studio and um, sat down and I was sitting beside Cecilia and Eden was in the front row um, waiting for her turn. And um, the teacher called Evie's name after the se- she was the second student to go up and she went up and she played her song perfectly. And then she stood up and I could tell that she was wobbling a little bit and she collapsed. And I jumped up immediately and yelled her name. I thought that she perhaps just was hot in her costume um, and fainted. But as minutes went by, immediately someone called the squad. Um, As minutes went by, I could tell that she wasn't just, hadn't just fainted. Something else was wrong. Another mom started CPR. And I called my husband in a panic 
um, I would say for about the first three minutes, I was just completely panicked and trying to figure out what was going on. Someone had taken my other, my girls out to the waiting area into the other room. And um, the teacher and I and the mom were just in there together. And um, once the squad came in, I moved over to the side with the piano teacher and she had her arm around me. And I, I didn't know what was happening. I didn't know why she had fallen. They, they um, had started using an AED, which wasn't reviving her. And I just I heard a little voice that just said, you need to pray, just pray. So I knelt down on the floor and I just prayed the Hail Mary over and over and over again. And I felt a peace come over me. And at that point, the squad had decided to take her to the emergency room. Um, I, they couldn't get her resuscitated, but they wanted to get her there as soon as they could. So a dear friend of mine who was there at the recital with her daughter took me to the hospital and my husband met us there in lightning speed. Um, and we were ushered in. They took Evie to another, a trauma room. They told us to wait in the hallway. We prayed. My husband was on his knees. We were just pacing and praying. They told us to come in. We watched as they tried to resuscitate her. And then they said, you know, the words that you never, ever want to hear as a parent. They, they said she's gone. And they called her time of death. And they cleaned her up for us and we got to spend some time with her just to say goodbye, to hold her hand, to pray over her. My husband commended her to the Lord and we told our family and our friends and, and then the journey that we've been on since then began. It is unimaginable. And you think of the way that we give ourselves wholly to the Lord and say, Lord, you take my life. I surrender it all. But when it comes to our children, of course, our flesh, our heart, everything says, but not that, not my child. And thinking of the Blessed Mother, thinking of you in that scene, and it, it is unimaginable hearing you recount the story. Um, it's like there's almost this sense where eternity was opened, this portal between the finite and the infinite is palpable. It's present when you talk about your husband commending your daughter to the Lord, and they're in that moment of just absolute surreal shock and there are numerous things I know that that happened in the aftermath of Evie's passing again eight years ago today that that I know brought you comfort from the outpouring of prayer from the community in your church to knowing that Evie had just recently gone to confession just a few weeks prior and also at one point didn't she tell a friend something about the date that she someday wished to see the Lord face to face that she would die Yes, we we discovered, I think, just a couple of days after her death, you know, um, people start coming over to the house, bringing food, visiting. And um, a, friend, a dear, dear friend of mine, her daughter was best friends with Evie. And she said that um, Evie had just recently told her that she, when she died, she wanted to die around All Saints Day so that she could be there for the celebration. Wow. And again, she was 11. So there's so much of this that, well, that is very 
emblematic of, of who she is. So that's an introduction, I guess, first of all. And you think of just, I know, I think the year before she addressed a St. Therese of Lisieux for All Saints Day on November 1st, and, and that was her favorite saint. In fact, in the the promo for today's show, we have a picture of her dressed as St. Therese. Evie loved the little flower. And, and what's notable about that is there is a story of St. Therese, who was a doctor of the church, by the way. One day as a child, she went so far as to wish that her mother would die and to tell her that. And when she was scolded, she explained it was only because she desired heaven for her mother, the happiness of paradise. Now, this was a doctor of the church. She was a saint. And similarly with Evie, her her, her love was like that, it seems. The, the stories that you share and the community and everyone that knew her, this docility to the Holy Spirit, to be open to God's movement in things like little sacrifices, which is something else that I know she liked doing. She would give her gifts away and freely donate almost to the point where you said, no, just keep, (laughs) it's okay to keep what you have. (laughs) And so maybe you could um, explain that a little bit because it sounds like some of her spontaneous spirituality and charity even surprised you. Yes. Well, backing up to, to the, the saint um, aspect, I think it's not surprising that Evie said that because she really loved the saints they were a really big part of our homeschool life, our family life. Um, I think maybe because we didn't grow up Catholic, we were converts. We were very fascinated with learning about the lives of the saints and digging into that aspect of our faith that we had never heard about before. So we always read about the saint every day. And every day, Evie would say, could I be a saint someday? And I would always say, of course, anyone can be a saint. And um, it just takes hard work, you know, it just takes loving Jesus. And she really took that to heart in her, in just her outward actions. Um, she, she read about St. Therese, every book she could get her hands on about St. Therese. She read every book for kids. She was, an, she was a profuse reader. She loved reading. Um, so she, she read a lot about the saints and she, she really just took St. Therese's um, spirituality to heart. So she, she had a very simple way of loving people. She went out of her way to just let, let you know that she loved you. So she would um, just leave little notes saying kind things to people or like she would be one to leave a little chocolate under your pillow or something. In fact, after she died, um, we were, we were moving, we moved um, shortly after she died, but she, um, we were, I was, I was sorting through things on my dresser and I found a little Kleenex box that had been sitting there for a while. And I, I, for some reason stuck my hand in it and there was a note from her inside of it that said, dear mom and dad, I love you so, so much. Thank you for everything you do. And that was just Evie. She just loved people and she, um, loved her sacrifice beads. She loved to help her siblings with their chores or even do their chores without telling them. Um, she, she would do their chores very... without telling them. Did I hear you? Yes. Right? <laughs> this is why she's unusual. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the funny thing because you said, well, it's not surprising. She said this because she grew up <laughs> hearing the lives of the saints. Well, my kids did too. And, and they are good, amazing children, but you know, they're what they're not doing their chores without <laughs> telling their siblings. <laughs> well, and you know, yes. also even to, like you said, the sacrifice beads and 
wasn't there also with the Blessed Virgin Mary, for example, when you talk about converting and learning the beauty of living out your Catholic identity in the home, the domestic church, you know, Evie was four. And sometimes we hear that the Blessed Virgin Mary is a stumbling block for some people, but for her, it just seemed like the earliest remembrance was this deep love where she loved the rosary. She started rosary groups. What was her devotion to Mary like? Yeah, so that was really surprising to me, actually. And I would say that's not something that I probably passed on to her um, because as a convert, I think it's a little hard for a lot of people. It was for me to sort of embrace a devotion to Mary. Um, it's just not intuitive, I guess, in, in, in Protestant spirituality. And um, I had only recently, I guess, we had decided to, to pray a decade of the rosary in our our morning time, our homeschool morning time. But that was really just a beginning thing. But Evie really, really did seem to have a deep devotion to Mary. And I know like at our homeschooling co-op, she had formed a little rosary prayer group and at lunch at recess. So um, she had tried to gather everyone and she would even make rosaries for people or she would bring rosaries for people if they didn't have one. So yes, that was that was a surprising part of her spirituality. But she's very devoted to Mary. Wow. All Saints Day is this Wednesday, tomorrow. All day here on Relevant Radio, you can learn more about the saints and love, learn everything, some that are that are new to you and some that you know. With our special programming, it's great stories about great saints. That's tomorrow. And today on All Hallows' Eve, we are blessed to bring you the story of who I believe is a saint in the making, and that's Evelyn Gerber. So we're hearing about her life and her story now. And Jen Gerber, mom, is with us about her remarkable life and some of the rose petals, I guess, as we're talking about St. Therese of Lisieux in her spirituality and the way that she blessed others. And I think a great example for all of us as we approach this month and every day um, as, as we're on this journey to heaven. And eight years ago today, uh, Evie died suddenly during a piano recital. Much more to come as we are visiting with Jen Gerber. We want to hear about some of the miraculous events in the aftermath of her passing. And Jen is here if you have a question, one 888 It's Brooke Taylor in for Kale. We'll be right back. Yet there's no sickness, toil, no danger. In that bright land to which I go. Our sponsor, Charity Mobile, where 5% of your monthly plan price goes to Relevant Radio or another pro-life charity of your choice. New customers can mention Relevant Radio to receive a free phone. More information at CharityMobile.com. I'm going home to see my mother and all my loved ones who've gone on. I'm only going over Jordan. It's Brooke Taylor in for Kale. Welcome back to the program. 
Jennifer Gerber is my guest on the show today. She is the mother of Evelyn Gerber, whose story we've been sharing, a young lady with a remarkable life and faith who died suddenly at the age of 11 when her heart stopped during a piano recital. That happened eight years ago today on All Hallows' Eve. Perfectly healthy, no previous health issues whatsoever, no warning, and they lost their daughter. Uh, The Gerbers are former Mennonite, Presbyterian, Anglican, finally coming into the Catholic Church while at Oxford University in England or shortly thereafter, uh, where dad was Chad uh, studying his PhD in theology. And today they have seven children, live on a hobby farm called, fittingly, All Saints Farm. Our studio line is open right now. If you'd like to speak with Jen, run 888-914-9149. And now's the time to call because our lines are open and we have some time with her, but I feel like there's still so much more to the story to get to. So we'll just jump right in, Jen. Um, I want to mention because the year died, you also took a pilgrimage beforehand a few months prior to the Holy Land, and you prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. You walked the Via Dolorosa, and in your darkest moments where you were there at the piano studio, then at the hospital, later um, at the hospital because you were pregnant, we'll talk about that as well, your baby coming early due to, to health complications because of the grief and trauma. It sounds like what happened there in Nazareth and in Jerusalem and the Holy Land Maybe you didn't know it then, but prepared you for what was to come. Uh, could you tell us about that? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, I Yes, like you said, I was in the Holy Land for a pilgrimage in May of that year. And I had a very profound experience at the Church of the Annunciation, actually, which quite surprised me because, I, as I said earlier, I didn't really have a very strong devotion to Mary, and I just assumed that I was going to have this great experience at Calvary and all these other places. But while I was in there, I just had this overwhelming sense of just an understanding of of the gravity of what Mary did in that moment when she gave her yes to God. Just thought about her helplessness and her youth and just what she gave up, what she, how her life was so different in that moment than she thought it was going to be. And I was just really struck by that. And I became very emotional and um, just, just had the sense that, that God was telling me to open my hand and let go of the way I thought my life was going to turn out the way I thought it should be and to just let him work in, in whatever way he needed to. And, um, it was actually in that moment that I also realized that I think I might be pregnant, (laughs) which (laughs) really shocked me as well because I was not expecting that. And then, um, after I got home from the pilgrimage, it was confirmed that I was indeed expecting. So, I'm reading something that you wrote here. Uh, you say, I thought about the times in my life when God had asked me to trust him as I walked down a path far different than the one that I had laid out for myself. Six weeks before my dream wedding, my 15-year-old brother and only sibling was killed in a car accident. The first year of my marriage certainly wasn't as dreamy as I pictured to be as I walked, worked through very profound grief while trying to finish college. 
Graduation led us to seminary for my husband, but instead of becoming a pastor, he decided to pursue a more academic study in theology and then moving to a different country, um, Oxford in England. And you talked about uh, my dream of having a few healthy children was only realized after several painful miscarriages. Uh, And you go on to talk about that, but also the beauty of Our Lady's yes and how young she was and the total complete surrender, which is so powerful. And did you feel then that you were being prepared or just at that point, maybe I'm having another baby? (laughs) (laughs) Well, both, I think. Um, I did feel, I guess, you know, when you're in a moment like that, sometimes you interpret it the way that you are interpreting it in that moment. So I think in that moment, I just didn't know what was really coming down the pipes, but I did have a sense that I was expecting But I also had a sense that there was something more to it, but I just didn't really know what it was. And now looking back in hindsight, I can see that God really was preparing me for that moment at my daughter's death at the piano studio when I, because when I was in the Holy Land at the grotto, I was kneeling on the floor and I was praying the Hail Mary and I was, I was thinking about how different, um, life is when we just give it to God in each moment, when we say yes in each moment, even if that moment is painful. And that's exactly what I was doing on the studio floor. I was praying my Hail Marys and I was thinking, I have a choice here. I can say yes to God in this moment, or I can be bitter and turn away from God, or I can just pretend like this isn't happening. Yeah. And I, I, it's it's hard to even process as as a bystander or witness, let alone you who lived through it and thinking of your children there and how at the same time, time is standing still, everything's going so fast and just trying to compute it all. I want to read just a portion of Evelyn's obituary because it reads like a poem. And I think for for believers, unbelievers, young and old, it's an example for all of us. And this is just, again, an excerpt. It says Evelyn Gerber again. She's 11, always smiling. Evelyn was a little girl with enormous joy in her heart and an insatiable sense of wonder and awe for God and the world. She sincerely loved others and was known by all for her eagerness to help and bring peace when she saw pain or conflict. Evelyn was known for her abiding sense of contentment. She was satisfied with what she had asked for very little, and freely gave much away. The source of Evelyn's serenity was her intense love for Jesus Christ. She believed that in him she already had everything. Evelyn was an example of prayerfulness, often finding private places to recite the rosary or forming prayer groups with her friends. She also enjoyed singing hymns with the family, especially those she had memorized, and had a deep affection for the unique presence of Christ in communion. Is it true? And then I'll just um Before I ask you, it says many times Evelyn expressed her longing to one day see him face to face and be counted among the saints in glory. And and you had mentioned earlier that she shared with a friend. She told a friend that she wanted to be in heaven and die on All Saints Day. And and this was the day um, when she did inevitably die years ago today. But is it true that she said that her first Holy Communion was the best day of her life? Yes, I have it in writing. I actually didn't even know that until after she passed away. Um, We were looking through her journals, and in the journal it said, she was talking about her first communion, she said, this is the best day of my life. Wow. 
Well, and to that point, in the aftermath of her death, some miraculous things happened. I know you had a dream. There were some items that were found, and, and that was one of them as you went through her things. Do you recall one or two? Um, well, there were there was something that happened to my husband that was pretty pretty miraculous. Um, he was praying at our prayer area, just um, having a really, you know, I think this was only like maybe two days after she had passed away, possibly only one day, and just feeling such darkness, um, just despair, and just asking God to please just give him, you know, some kind of sense or sign that this was, that he was there, you know, because I think often when we're going through a very intense darkness, we just, we question whether God is there and whether he hears us and whether he can see what we're going through. And um, he was looking down and he, we had Evie's first communion banner hanging over the um, edge of the prayer area. And he happened to look down and, and he just saw just inside the, um, where the dowel rod hangs, there was a little couple little pieces of paper crumpled up inside of there. And, um, he pulled one out and um, the first one that he pulled out said, the greatest ownership is the embracement of emptiness. And that really just knocked him out, you know, because he it just had, had, had Evie like, written that or was that, well, was this that just was on a fortune cookie paper? Oh. Sorry, I don't know if I said that. <laughs> wow. It said so the it greatest ownership is, is the embracement of emptiness. Yes. Okay. So, we're not really sure. Like he wasn't sure what to do with that, but then he pulled the other, the paper, other fortune cookie paper out. And it was actually a quote from Hebrews 11, one. It was right from scripture. Faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things unseen. And we, we ate Chinese a lot as a family. We loved it. And at some point we believe that Evie must've stuck those in there because nobody else, could figure it out and wow. that in that moment my husband was meant to see those words um i'm i'm looking at the time because there's still so much more to your story and i want to um, decide where, where to go and, and what to pick up on next here. We've got about five minutes. But just to skip ahead a little bit, you were pregnant at the time, as you mentioned. And due to the trauma, the stress of the loss of your daughter, you got a kidney stone that went into pneumonia. You almost died. An emergency C-section was performed. I just want to read a quick excerpt from an entry that you write about that time. You said, while I was in the hospital, I distinctly remember telling my friends I did not know how I was going to do this. I felt weak and vulnerable and completely out of control. I was helpless to do anything for myself. How could my oldest surviving daughter cope without her best friend and sister? How could I live again? The pain my family felt was indescribable. But although we didn't always perceive God's presence in the valley, he was there. And he broke through our darkness. You, you talk about Chad, but also in this C-section moment, I know that kind of brings you back to the Holy Land. And maybe you could touch on that um, as well, because I think it's a powerful reminder for all of us how we are called. You know, the, the wood of the cross is, is a bride in some way, and this unity with the Paschal Mystery. Yeah, so I I did get quite sick and I had a kidney stone and that was, you know, I'd gone in on Sunday and then two days later I had double pneumonia. The baby was breech. I went into labor. They ended up doing a C-section under general anesthesia. And then two days after that, I had the kidney stent put in. So in the midst of all of that, I was in and out of 
you know, consciousness sometimes um, due to medication. But I recognized, and I think right before they um, took me in for the C-section, they, they stretched out my arm. And in that moment, I just recognized that I was living out the passion of Christ in my body too, not just in my soul, but in my body. Um, and it was, it was really powerful for me to have that experience and just to feel so vulnerable, but also to feel so cared for and loved and know that it doesn't matter what happens, that, that God is there in it and he will get us through whatever it is that we're facing. That's powerful. Um, I'm reading here, O Comely Tree, O Radiant Bride, by Kingly Purple Sanctified, though chosen from the highborn race, God's hallowed members to embrace. And that image of you um, is, you know, that, that moment where we are at our weakest and we just embrace the cross is where we see um, God's grace and presence and light and also the intercession of your daughter. And in just the few minutes, and I'm going, this is like your James Bond 007 mission, if you if you choose to accept it. Are you able, because we didn't even get to the trauma of your children seeing that and being able to kind of offer words of hope for families shattered in this way. But there is a beautiful candle. I think the intercession of your daughter, Evie, is present in this fruit with regards to your oldest son and the virtue of hope. Yes. Well, after my daughter died, um, it certainly wasn't smooth sailing. And I don't mean to make it sound like it was. There's been a lot that has happened. And especially with our older two kids, we went through a very intense period of mental illness. um, And still we're struggling with some different things. And my son in particular, I think he was 14 and he just um, didn't understand why God would allow that to happen. And he became angry and there, you know, I can't blame him for that. Um, so we went through just some difficult years where we were, you know, taking kids in and out of psychiatrist's office and counseling and um, medication, trying medications and, and things were rough. But just recently, um, my son, who is 22 now, decided that he wanted to be confirmed because he missed his confirmation because that was all happening the year that my daughter died and he just wasn't ready to do it then. So that is something that we prayed for on our knees daily about. So that is definitely a beacon of hope for us right now. Absolutely. And we all rejoice. We all rejoice because that is an answer to prayer in so many ways. Uh, I just want to thank you so much for being with us today. I feel like there's so much we didn't yet get to, but I know for you, in order to bring us the story of your beautiful daughter uh, of Evelyn, uh, it's it's a requ- you know you have to recount the the worst day of your life and i know that's a costly request to ask but thank you for sharing that with us because of the hope and uh an honor to be able to see a glimpse of glory that that evie this beatific ray of light you know that she um is and through her life was able to bring to us. So thank you and thank Evie for bringing her little way of heaven here to us today. Our prayers are with you and God bless you and Evie Gerber, pray for us. Thank you, Jen. Thank you. Thank you. It's Brooke Taylor in for Kale. Brother Richard will be joining us from Dublin with a reflection on why in Ireland, the month of November is known as the thin place as we talk about the saints. Back in a moment here on Relevant Radio and the app. Stay with us.
Our sponsor, Charity Mobile, where 5% of your monthly plan price goes to Relevant Radio or another pro-life charity of your choice. New customers can mention Relevant Radio to receive a free phone. More information at CharityMobile.com. Welcome back to the Kale Clark Show. It's Brooke Taylor in for Kale today. Brother Richard Hendrick is a priest friar of the Irish branch of the Franciscan Capuchin Order, currently parish priest of the oldest church in Dublin, Ireland, and also the author of the book Still Points, A Guide to Living the Mindful Meditative Way. And with the time that we have left, grateful to enter into a bit of a little Irish November retreat with Brother Richard. It's good to have you back on. Hello, Brother Richard. Good evening, Brooke. It's good to be with you. Yes. Hey, I was wondering if there were uh, trick-or-treaters out in Dublin today. Oh, there most certainly were, <clears throat> in large numbers, I'm afraid. Um, <laughs> yes, we, we, we've, uh, we, we still have, have that tradition. It goes, it goes way, way back, um, as I'm sure your listeners know. Um, it kind of began with us over here in Ireland um, with the idea of what they called, uh, not, not trick-or-treating, but um, we used to just call it collecting as, as kids. And that was going from house to house dressed up as well and uh, getting the various bits and pieces of sweets. And more often than not, fruit and nuts was what we, we, we sought or received um, back in the, the 1970s, 1980s. Better for the teeth, I would imagine, along the way. Um, but uh, the tradition itself goes back to what they called soul caking, which was where groups of young people would go to a house and would promise to pray for the dead of that house if they received a cake, a soul cake in return, which was kind of a small little scone filled with currants and nuts. So that's where the trick-or-treating originally comes from. Mm. And there's so many traditions. I mean, with Ireland, the lore, the stories, the poetry, but you've got, and again, your book is still points so many beautiful meditations for each month of the year, liturgically, seasonally, but in the month of November, so you talked about the soul cakes, also mm. leaves. We, we were just out raking leaves today and they were falling as we were raking. And it made me think of your book because there's an old Irish tradition that you talk about where the prayers of the dead go along with the falling of the leaves yes yes indeed i mean the 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 um uh, the, the the season of autumn i suppose more more often called fall over in, in your country which is in fact the oldest name for it um the old tradition in ireland was that if a leaf uh, fell from a tree while you were passing by fell in front of your face not just the general leaves falling but if a leaf fell in front of your face or landed upon you then it was seen as a little, a little message from uh, a holy soul, one of your ancestors, one of the souls in purgatory, um, to offer a prayer for them in that moment. So that whole season, seasonality of our faith that we go through where nature reflects grace and grace reflects nature and nature invites us into a contemplative understanding of the liturgical seasons that we celebrate um, was very present in, in Ireland um, and still is present in the teaching of the church. It's just that so many of us live very urbanized lives that are away from the land. Um, so the more we slow down, the more we, we become in, in contact with nature. It becomes a contemplative lens that can deepen our understanding of the liturgical seasons as they move. 
the last time that you were on with us, I think it was the beginning of autumn. And so we were talking about this time of year for the contemplative. There's so much to attend to. And kind of you mentioning that as well with the month of November. Of course, we often think of commercialized and the consumerized thing of, oh, what's next around the corner? It's the Mm -hmm. Black Friday or Thanksgiving. But the spiritual aspect of not missing the gifts and the fruit of the month of November, which the church sets aside specifically for this purpose to pray for Absolutely. holy souls. Absolutely. Yeah. So we, we've entered now with, with All Hallows Eve, Halloween, we've entered into that sort of mini meditation at the start of November that we call Hallowtide, um, which began round about the year 761. It was instituted by Pope Gregory III, um, who was the one who placed the Feast of All Saints at this, this time of year. And so we have these these three very beautiful days, um, All Hallows Eve as a way of preparing for, for all saints, all hallows, all those who have been hallowed, who have been made holy. We had an old parish priest many years ago, and he used to refer to All Saints Day as the day for the common or garden saint, meaning that we have the canonized feasts throughout the year. But this is the day in which the Church really um, reveals her richness, all of the, the uncountable number of saints over history, um, all those holy men and women of all times and places, as the Litany of the Saints says, um, who have won, won the, the race. They have, they have received their reward. They have finished uh, and, and been faithful to the end, and they have been received into the fullness of the communion of the saints, and they intercede for us. So just as we honor them, they are praying for us, and we rely on their prayers. And I'm sure many of us will find, please God, when the day comes, through the grace of God, where we ourselves become part of that communion, we will be amazed to discover just how many legions of, of our ancestors have been praying for us as they see us make, make the journey. And then, of course, directly after All Saints, we have All Souls, and we remember those who are saved but who are being purified, um, pu- purified in the fires of love. And I think one of the things that uh, sometimes can happen for people when they think about purgatory is that they can think about it with a lot of fear sometimes. Um, But we must remember that the Church teaches that the souls who are in purgatory are in fire, yes, but the fire of love, the fire of absolute purifying love. Um, I think it's Sister Faustina in the Diary of of Divine Mercy talks about the the souls in in purgatory, uh, that the the principal pain that they go through is actually uh, feeling um, the, the desire for God in them grow and grow and grow, and yet their awareness of their own unworthiness growing at the same time. And so that's the struggle, that's the flame of purgatory, if you, if you like. Um, but it is with the absolute certainty and assurance that they are saved. And so they, they have this wonderful role of interceding for us as we intercede for them. And so the Church dedicates the entirety of the month of November to praying for them, remembering them. What One beautiful custom that some people are are unaware of is that every priest is entitled uh, to say three Masses, to celebrate three Masses on the Feast of All Souls, um, so as to to pray for the dead and to ensure um, that those who who maybe have been forgotten by, by people or maybe have no one to pray for them here on this earth, they're, they're remembered and enfolded within the charity of the Church and within the celebration of the Eucharist. Um, and so, you know, November then leads us beautifully along in, in, into Advent. We, we move through, through this extraordinary experience that as the nights are getting darker, at least in the Northern Hemisphere, as the nights are getting darker and the days are getting shorter and colder, 
you know, we are invited to look inwards and to find there the light of Christ growing within us. So as we take our eyes off the, the sunshine outside and the warmth outside, there is a calling, I think, uh, for all of us to look into the heart and to uh, to begin to make that journey uh, to prepare the manger of the heart for the coming of the Christ at Christmas. Mm-hmm. In, in the Franciscan tradition, we actually begin our Advent preparation on the 1st of November. Uh, we have the old custom that's still observed in, in the Orthodox churches of what we call the Lent of Benediction, um, which is... Uh, essentially looking at November and Advent as being one season of, of preparation uh, that begins with the memento mori of, of um, All Hallows' Eve, uh, the whole celebration of Hallowtide, and then moves into the more deliberate um, recovery of the journey of salvation, salvation history through Advent. So, you know, I, I'd say to yourself and to your listeners to, to really have your your liturgical senses, your spiritual senses awake and open at this time of year because there are tremendous riches that the Church offers from her great treasury during these times for us to celebrate and also for us to to use uh, for for all of those who are in need. Absolutely, and when uh, so much of the things we rely on, uh, the structures of the world, so to speak, are crumbling around us and there are so many no- unknowns. That unshakable mm-hmm. peace and contentment is more critical now uh, more than ever. Mm-hmm. So, um, And I also want to mention, as you talked about the Office of the Dead, Relevant Radio has our Holy Souls Novena. You can submit names there as well. It's relevantradio.com souls. And that, I feel, is just a beautiful way to launch us into Hallow Tide. I know Timory is going to be uh, working on the theme of Memento Mori. Then we have of the family rosary across America with Father Rocky after that, and tomorrow is all about the saints. So we've got you covered beautiful, here. And beautiful. Brother Richard, I want to make sure to point people to your book. Again, it's called Still Points. We will put it up in the show notes. And as we wrap up, could you give us a blessing from a, a Dublin blessing, please? Of course, of course. Well, we're, we're, we're coming to the end of our All Hallows' Eve series, so we'll give the little blessing for the end of Compline this evening. So The Lord be with you and with your listeners now as we pray. Visit these houses, these places, these people, we pray you, Lord. Drive far away from us all snares of the enemy. May your holy angels stay with us and bless us. Guard us and guide us this night as we ask this blessing now and forever. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So God bless you all, all the way from Ireland. Thank you. Thank you so much, Brother Richard Hendrick. God bless you. Thank you for being here. Thank you to both of my guests today, Jen Gerber, who powerfully shared the story of her daughter, Evelyn, who died suddenly at the age of 11, eight years ago today. Just a remarkable young girl. I pray one day will be a saint. And Brother Richard Hendrick there joining us from Dublin. Again, you can get his book information. It's called Still Points at the show page for Kale Clark. Trending with Timory is up next, followed by the family Rosary Across America with Father Rocky. And just in the one minute that we have left here, I wanted to find if I can get to it. The um, I had a St. Faustina prayer. I don't see it now, but I want to just revisit again the idea of the crucifix, the cross, and our ultimate goal. The cross is not mere suffering. It is suffering sanctified by the touch of Christ, as the church says of the sacred wood on Passion Sunday. The cross is suffering offered by Christ and thou chosen, sanctified, radiant bride. God bless you, all the saints. Pray for us, and God bless you. Happy All Hallows' Eve.